One of the things that I learned in corporate is you always hire someone who's better than you. And that says a lot because Colonel's got a lot of skills, but he's done an incredible job of bringing in a master sprayer and a master carpenter. And it's made our lives so much easier. Do you ever feel like you're lost on social media? Like you're just another face in the crowd? Well, what if I told you that there was a platform just for the woodworking industry? It's called Wood Nexus. Think of it as the LinkedIn for furniture company owners, or the Facebook for lumber suppliers, or the Instagram for woodworking tools. You get the idea. I'm actually on Wood Nexus right now with this show, sharing episode information and answering questions about the topics I discuss with each guest. So if you're looking to connect with more people in the industry, or looking for new suppliers, or just interested in seeing what's out there, check out woodnexus.org. And while you're there, stop by the Building a Furniture Brand page and say, hey, I'll see you there. Let's talk quality, family business, and American-made tools. Bits and Bits offers all three and more. They make all types of bits, CNC bits, router bits, engraving cutters, even custom bits if you need. The list goes on. Everything you want for your shop, you can get at bitsbits.com. It's their name, but it's also what they do. They are first and foremost a manufacturer. They actually make their own products in their own Pacific Northwest American factory. And for over 30 years, they've been a family business. So if you want to talk about a company that stands behind their product, you're talking about bits and bits. They are also a full Festool and Whiteside distributor. But what really stands them apart in my mind, besides manufacturing their own product, is their exclusive Astra coating. They put it on everything they make and it extends the life of a bit no matter if you're using it in wood, metal, or plastic. Want to know more? Just check out bitsbits.com. That's B-I-T-S, B-I-T-S dot com. Check them out for all your bits needs. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Kelly and Cromwell Shoup, co-owners of the furniture company Rail and Style. Working out of a 20,000 square foot space with eight employees, growing steadily year over year and debuting a brand new furniture collection, you could look at Kelly and Cromwell and say they are living the dream. But that dream didn't come easily. And even though their growth was fast, it was because they had already put in the work to make that growth possible. So it didn't matter if they were thrown into a good or difficult situation, they were set to come out stronger on the other side. So follow along as we talk about the art of shipping, who to hire to make your business run smoothly, what your clients really want, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Kelly and Cromwell's story in their own words. Rail and Style started as a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Very seriously, started as a midlife crisis. So Cromwell has been building for as long as he can remember. I don't know if it was from the crib, but um, family-wise, you've always been doing it. So my dad was an architect and had a little bit of a construction company, and I would help on occasion on job sites and fun stuff like that. Went to college for marketing and uh, came out doing customs brokering 
and then hated it after about six months in and so decided I'd go back to building houses. So that was pretty much straight out of college, actually. And then um, went from doing home renovations to building the cabinets because we were doing a lot of this was in Atlanta at the time. So we were doing a lot of really old homes or in comparison to Raleigh anyway, old homes, homes that were built early 1900s, late 1800s. And um, no cabinets would fit, right? So we started, ended up building our own cabinetry. So the home renovation company turned into a cabinet shop and then the cabinet shop moved from Atlanta to Raleigh when we moved here in 08. And then um, I was just I, I built cabinets, custom cabinetry and offices and casework and all kinds of stuff for years. So Cromwell's always had the skill set. My involvement in this came around, I would say, about 10 years ago. I'd always been very interested in interior design, but didn't consider myself much of a creative. And I was working in the technology industry. Um, and we, in, in, just for working on our own house, which had always been sort of a hobby for me, um, I started getting really interested in vintage furniture. And I don't know if, if this is something you remember, but I would say back around 2010 is when it really started here on the East Coast, um, although I think it started a little earlier on the West Coast, where folks were taking some of these gorgeous pieces, many of which had been built here in North Carolina in the 60s and 70s, and upcycling them, um, creating a whole new look for these pieces, primarily with lacquer. So I was um, finding vintage pieces and asking my husband nicely to lacquer them for me for the house. And that's really when I would say the obsession started. We started pulling in more pieces and we actually started selling them online. So right around that time, was also when Instagram had really become an amazing resource for people, particularly women, I think, to um, start building small businesses online. And that's really where we started. We were selling some pieces in some local shops, but a lot of it was Instagram, and it was almost instantaneous. And at some point, we were able to keep Cromwell busy, either refinishing or lacquering pieces um, on a weekly basis. And so you started doing less and less cabinet work and more and more lacquer. Yeah, it was a, it wasn't a very slow evolve evolution though. Like it happened fairly quickly. So he started doing the actual finishing side of our business full time, starting around 2018, I would say. And I continued to work the corporate world and do this more as a hobby and a passion in the off hours. But I started to become pretty addicted to it. And then, of course, we had the COVID scenario that thrust so many home and decor companies into the limelight because everybody was thinking about their houses. And we couldn't keep up with it. I continued to curate and pull in vintage, and he continued to upcycle it, and we continued to sell it, and we were selling it all across the country, which is actually a really painful process to ship furniture, as I'm sure you know. The first piece we shipped across the country made it there in toothpicks. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go very well. I hear you. Shipping is a nightmare, no matter how you look at it. And I definitely like to talk more on that because shipping's a big part of everybody's business. But 
I do want to talk about something else first. You've both grown your company so large, so fast that I really want to start off talking about that. And the way to grow is to sell your furniture. So your story of growth is really your story about how you're getting sales. One thing I noticed right off the bat is how you're selling pieces on your website. You sell vintage pieces and then you sell your own line of furniture right next to each other. It looks very seamless, not only in the look, but also how you're presenting it on the page. And the way you're doing this is really clever, calling out ready to ship, which are the vintage pieces, and customization, customizing, being able to customize a piece which, for the most part, is your own line of furniture. And it's kind of hard to describe what I'm talking about without actually looking at it, so I would recommend people checking out your website, but I'll try to explain it. For your own line, you say customize, which clients love to do, and so you call that out. And even though the customizations are very constrained and could be seen as options that most websites would just present as different drop-down options the way you present it, really makes it feel like you're making one-of-a-kind items directly for the customers. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting observation. Thank you for thank you for the compliment but also for recognizing what we've done there. I think we I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out where I want to see this company go, what I want to see the end result of this company being. Cromwell and I have lots of conversations about this. I have conversations like this with my mentors, with my employees, with friends who are also in the design business. And, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity in furniture, but there's also a lot of competition. And so I've consistently asked, you know, what is our North Star? And it always comes back to customization and color for us. So understanding that that's our North Star, that's what differentiates us, is really an organizing principle. Uh, an organizing principle for people that would come to our site and say, um, what am, I, am I looking at a vintage piece here? Am I looking at a new piece here? So for me, if I can't understand what's going on, how, how can I expect my audience to? So we have worked really hard to try to um, provide that clarity. And I think what's so critical about it is everybody wants custom now. Everybody wants that piece that's exactly how they want it and they expect to get it. So to be able to play into how can we help you? How can we do this for you? How can we make this yours? I think really resonates with a lot of homeowners. So we're going to continue to try to do that on the website in all of our conversations with customers, really along the lines of not just, okay, here's the five things I offer, but what can I do to help you make your home a home? You touched on the shipping process before, so let's get back into that. It's one of the biggest problems furniture makers have when they want to expand their businesses because you can put as much effort into a piece of furniture as you can, but the second it leaves your shop, it's in the hands of a shipping company. And for the most part, that piece of furniture is now just seen as a box that needs to be delivered, not as the piece of art that you and your client 
know all the painstaking hours that have gone into making it. So let's talk about your shipping process and how that's evolved over the years so you can continue to expand your business by being able to ship your furniture across the country safely. Yeah, that if if there's anything that has made Cromwell and I think about leaving this industry, <laughs> <laughs> it's been shipping. Um, I would, I'm sure Cromwell has a lot of thoughts on this as well, but, but I would tell you that, that perfecting the shipping process, well, it's, first of all, there's no perfecting it, but it has been the thing that has kept us up the most and, um, really made us rethink how to do this in, in the business. And what we have done is we have found partners, partners we could rely on. Um, we do not put our pieces in a box yet. I think that putting pieces in a box is probably in the near future. But up to this point, we have focused on building sort of a cadre of two or three shippers, white glove shippers, all you know, moving things in trailers and vans, not on huge box trucks that are doing a white glove delivery of every piece. And there's certainly a price associated with that. Uh, we have found, in terms of how we price this with clients, we have found an amount that seems to work for customers, that seems realistic to them, but isn't actually as high as what the cost is. So we eat some of the shipping cost on many of these pieces. Now, that's not going to always be true, right? If I'm sending something to California for $399, I'm going to be paying some of that shipping cost. If I'm sending it to Virginia from North Carolina, then I'm actually doing okay on that shipping cost. But we have decided that we look at it more like a marketing cost, right? A cost of doing business because the client is like, I can, I can digest this amount. It makes sense to me that this China cabinet is going to cost me $399 to get it from here to here. And I can, and I'm willing to pay that. But building that cadre of trusted shippers has been really challenging. And in getting to know these shippers and using these guys, I mean, we both went through a lot of getting to know one another, like what we expected from them, what they expected from us, how to honestly wrap and properly pad a piece so that it can make it across the country in the back of a trailer or whatever. And then on top of that, should something happen to the piece, should they break it in transit or get scratched or whatever, we have agreements. They wrap it, put it back on the truck, bring it back to us, we fix it, and it goes back out. So we, we strive to make it right if something goes wrong. Ideally, nothing goes wrong. Yeah. But shipping's a beast. Shipping is 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 probably the worst part of all of this. We had early on um, used U-Ship. And U-Ship is, I think, a fantastic resource for a lot of companies. But I will tell you that we have left U-Ship and we no longer send anything through that resource because we dealt with so many negative experiences. One of the things that you find on U-Ship is there is an opportunity to uh, rank shippers, give them reviews, et cetera. But us shipping 
a large credenza that has been lovingly, you know, lacquered and redone is very different from shipping a motorcycle. And you don't really get the opportunity to understand that on your ship. And so I would have someone say, oh, yeah, I, I send delicate items all the time. Well, I mean, it just we've just ran into terrible situations where they didn't understand how to truly wrap and care for these pieces. So we ended up leaving U-Ship and finding, like I said, these, these individuals that we really trust. We've been talking about your furniture all across the country, but let's bring it back home, back to your 20,000 square foot space, your shop and showroom, and to your eight employees. Now, it wasn't always like this. When you started out, it was just the two of you in small spaces, but you've grown from there. So let's talk about that growth and how you're hiring people and also how you're structuring your employees so the people you're hiring are really helping your business to continue growing to meet the demands that are being placed on it. We've got a fantastic team right now, sort of grown rather organically, realizing that I can't do everything all the time, right? And trying to find people who are better than myself. So for example, uh, we have another gentleman in the shop who I call him our master sprayer. And he and I go back and forth, but he does 90% of what gets sprayed in the shop at this point. And he came out of necessity that I couldn't keep up anymore with building custom stuff. And this is early on, as well as refinishing. You know, it literally went from doing, you know, a couple pieces a month to doing 10 pieces a week to doing wherever we are now, which is a lot. And he's been great. And he's been with us almost five years now. And then you know, needed more help on the prep side of the world. So started looking for people that had the aptitude and the patience to work through a piece and understand where the problems lie, or at least understand that they needed to point it out to me so that I could fix it, even if they couldn't, but that it didn't just get glossed over. We just kept expanding that way. Like it was really an organic thing. And then with the cabinets, I actually hired a really good friend of mine. Um, who has been building cabinets for himself, like privately in his garage for clients. And then he was the, the lead master carpenter for uh, another local cabinet shop. And um, I wooed him. One of the things that Cromwell's been great about, and I think we've both kept each other honest on this kind of thing, is one of the things that I learned in corporate is you always hire someone who's better than you. And that says a lot because Cromwell's got a lot of skills, but he's done an incredible job of bringing in a master sprayer and a master carpenter, and it's made our lives so much easier. So, I mean, that's something I would say to anyone, no matter where they are in this process, is you just, you got to hire to your weaknesses. You've got to hire people that are bringing something better and new to that. And the other thing that we found with hiring is, I think... Any business owner feels like they have to do this at some level, and it's certainly been true for us, is you don't want to bring a person on board when you are 100% sure that you can, A, keep them busy, always make sure that they're going to get that paycheck. You have to be really careful, right? You're now responsible for them and potentially their family. So we've always stretched a bit and pushed a little harder and worked a few extra hours before making that next hire. Yeah, make sure it was the right fit, wanted to make sure that we really truly needed them. It wasn't just a 
blip in the moment of we're just really busy right now and it would be nice to have somebody. Um, so yeah, there's nothing worse than being on a job and having nothing to do. Or, I mean, as you know, Ethan, I mean, this is an expensive business. Um, materials are expensive, rent expensive. Um, and for us, because we also had the vintage component, actually having the pieces in house and having inventory and stock sitting there is expensive as well. And so for us, it was always really important that we knew there was never going to be a bad month such that anybody's salary would be at risk. So those were sort of the, the key things that we were looking at as we were trying to build out the team. You both have put a lot of work into your business and it shows. And while you've been doing that, You've experienced a lot of roles in this industry. I know there's probably more than this, but off the top of my head, I'm thinking part-time, full-time, house building, custom cabinet builder, refinishing, vintage restoration, spraying, developing a line of furniture, having a showroom. The list, the list goes on. I'm sure I'm leaving some out. Your view on this industry is wide. For people who are trying to get into the furniture business, or for people who have their own company already but want it to run better, is there any advice that both of you could share from your own experiences on how to run a business successfully? You know, I think word of mouth initially is the biggest the biggest thing, getting people to talk about you and say nice things. Yeah, and that means um, doing right by them. Doing right by them. Uh, always, yeah, it, it, honestly, it's it's being your own biggest salesperson and, and talking to people and, and honestly doing right by them saying, you know, meeting the obligations that you will both agreed to and doing it in a way that everybody is happy. I mean, we, we have a lot of different aspects to this company. You know, it's like you said, from finishing private pieces to selling vintage pieces to all the things we do to the vintage pieces and the cousin, but it like, it all seems to be a natural fit. Like it all goes in the same direction. I think that even though we have a lot of different rods in the fire, I guess, um, they're all going the same direction and we're not as spread out. I don't think as it seems. And we're just trying to, you know, everybody needs a side hustle and even the company needs a side hustle. So as you know, in this world, you know, stools may be hot today, but they're not going to be hot tomorrow. Right. So you end up with a showroom full of stools and nobody's buying them. And then <laughs> you got to figure out where, where everybody lands. So you, you need, you need sort of a mix. You need, you can't just do one thing. You got to do a multitude of things, especially this day and age. I think that's a very good point. I think um, one of our strengths has also been our weakness in the sense that we do have a lot of irons in the fire. Um, and I think that has helped us, particularly as we've gone through so many macro changes, you know, going from that huge push um, on home decor during COVID to then the whole inflation and economic reset. And so through all that, we saw different parts of the business ebb and flow. We find that when people are concerned about the economy, we do a lot more actual lacquer services or refinishing. When 
people are feeling a little more confident, we see a lot more new sales, custom sales. So I do think having multiple irons in the fire for your business and multiple directions you can go is a good thing. But I would also say that there were times where we were spread too thin and we're really lucky we got through some of that. So I would also tell anyone, just make sure when you are making a leap into something new, that it's a strong adjacency, right? That you are, you're not making a huge leap. You're making a small leap into something that you can kind of add to the, add to the mix. So for example, the move from lacquer services to also doing refinishing and upholstery, the move from that to more customization, the move from that to now building a new collection. You know, these aren't um, separate companies. They all kind of fit well together. And they were all answering a question or a need in some way. It's something that kept popping up over and over again. It wasn't just some random, I want to upholster now. It was because we have enough clients that need it done that we were like, well, might as well keep that in-house. This isn't the kind of thing where all of a sudden you're just done. I mean, we work more now than we ever did. And we're always looking at what that next thing will be. I want to thank you both so much for sitting down with me and sharing your story about where you've been and also where you're going. And I appreciate your time and wish you both nothing but success moving forward in your business. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.